you. It's good, yes, speaking on James. It's been good, isn't it? Book of James. I like it when we just, personally, you know, just teaching straight out of the Word of God. It's a good place to start, isn't it? It is. So, yeah, we've been working our way through the book of James. I'll be finishing off James chapter 5. And we've heard over recent weeks how James certainly speaks his mind. I like James. He speaks truth. And I'd like, something Ben said last week, if you want to listen back to that, he said, he's very practical. See, the thing is, James at the time, talking about this early church, he's the half-brother of Jesus, and people are like almost looking to him and saying, how do we do this? And he's like, he's got to sit there and he's got to think, well, I've seen it in the flesh. I've seen what it looks like, you know. I grew up with Jesus. I saw everything that he said, he also lived out. Everything that he did, he lived and he was, he was practical. Jesus, see, the thing is, we talk about, it's wonderful, the word of Jesus can do so much. You know what? But Jesus did, he acted, he responded. You always hear in the word how he responded to the crowd. How he responded, how he felt for people. And James sees that and he, he's almost like, <laughs> you know, I've seen it. And I'm telling you, he did it. He didn't just, yeah, I've seen it and that's how he did it. And that's what I'm going to say to you. This is it. I can be quite blunt about it. And however you look at your society, I want you to live it out the way that Jesus did. And he, so he does that in a very blunt manner. Which, as I said, I think personally, we could do with a bit more of that today. You know, sometimes I think it's been said we're living in a bit of a post-truth society. I actually think sometimes it's because we're not brave enough to speak truth. We're not very good at confrontation. We're not very good at standing in front of somebody and saying, well, actually, no, I disagree. This is the truth. We can do that. James, I think some people are uncomfortable with James because he does the thing that we wish we would, you know, where he actually, he says it. I'll, I'm gonna, I've got some really, a really good example of it as well, the way he does it in a, in a minute. But the thing is, he does, he speaks, he says things that maybe, my, importantly, right, my job today is I do, I want you to go out built up. I want you to go out inspired from here, ready to live out your life following Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes, we, I don't want to be airy-fairy about it. I don't know if I'm even allowed to say that. But, but I have to, it doesn't matter. But anyway, just, but I don't want to be sort of, you know, weak about that. That's how I put it. I don't want to be weak on that. I want to be strong on that. I want to say, this is truth. It's okay. What I'm saying, I'm not saying to harm you. I'm saying, oh, go out. Let's go. This is truth. It's okay. So, the actual subtitle of my talk today is How to Do Church. I was going to talk it, <laughs> I was going to call it Church for Dummies. And once again, no, I did think that was maybe last week, um, Natasha, she came up and she read, the, she read from James chapter 4, and the first line is, You adulterous people. And you could feel this, you know, in the church. And I thought, if I stand up here and go, Church for Dummies, you're just going to feel you come over here every week to get offended. Anyway, 
I didn't want to push it. So, so in James chapter 5, I believe James shares how to do gathered church. Which is quite good because we're the gathered church. So I'm going to speak to you about that. He gives us, I believe, two foundations or streams that run right through whatever we do. And then three practical outworkings. So I'm aware of the time. We have a few things to get through. I should stop babbling. The first of these two foundations or streams is found in the beautiful way James speaks about the rich. This is, of course, James being honest. Can we have the next slide, please? Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Lovely, kind words. But actually, if we looked at Matthew chapter 6 and the words of Jesus, we'll read this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. James has just said the same thing Jesus said. He's a little bit more aggressive about it, honestly, a bit more blunt. So Jesus says it a nice way. And I think sometimes we're like, well, it's all right, it's the words of Jesus. And then we're like, oh, not so sure, it's the word of James. But you know, this is the thing. James is saying the same thing. And what I think he's saying is this is all about, same as what Jesus was saying, it's all about heart. For me, and if you know me, whenever I'll always bring it back to love. Right, so it is, it's all about love. It's about what love looks like today. It looks like, you know, it's what, how we live out love. It's where is our heart at. Once again, if you put that in the context of who James is and who he's seen live his life, he's seen love lived out on a daily basis through Jesus Christ. So he says to us, what does love look like lived out? And he does this in a way of getting right to the core of things and it's about what are we holding on to? What are we holding on to that we shouldn't be? What, what are we... Hoarding instead of pouring out sacrificially. I give blood, which is good. I, you know, um, I have special blood. No, mine's more special. Uh, Heasley blood, it seems, is no. Uh, <laughs> one drop. No. Uh, right. Anyway, I do. I have. I have, a, um, I have a priority number to phone up to give blood, honestly, because I have something called, I have a subgene in my blood called Rho. So my blood is Rho blood. And if, you, uh, if somebody suffers from sickle cell anemia, they need constant blood transfusions. And they can only have them blood transfusions from people who have Rho blood. So I do. Very special blood. God loves me so much. So, but the thing is, right, I could hold on to it. Really, you know what I mean? I mean, you don't know until I've just told you. You don't know, you know, it's just blood, you know, it's just me. I could hold on to it. I worked out, I was thinking about this morning, now bear with me here. If I live another 40 years, and I'm being generous, 
If I live another 40 years, I'll give, and I give blood every three months, I'll give 160 pints of blood. Isn't that amazing? 160 pints. That's, that's, you know, if an average eight pint a person per body, and they had to have a full transfusion, that's lots of people. Isn't that great? Or, you know what, I could, in that 40 years, I can just die and it's useless. It's corroded. It's mothballed. There's so many things in life where we can sit there and we can think, that's mine. I need to hold on to that. I need to grasp it. Where, you know, that's the thing is, guess what, when I give my blood, in three months' time, I give more blood. Hey, gift that keeps on giving. There's a choice, there's a thought, and there's a thing of saying, where's your heart? And James is saying, what are you holding on to? What are you gripping? Because, you know, the things in this life, it'll all fade. But we push forward with something more because we love, because we pour ourselves out sacrificially. It's who we're called to be, and actually that's, it's a foundation of who we are as a gathered church. The other foundation is a lot more exciting. Perseverance. The foundation of the church is to persevere. And James, in his words, he mentions the prophets. We've got the next slide. Yeah, so he mentions the prophets, first of all, and I really like the fact he messaged, um, you know, says about the prophets, because one of the things about prophets is, you read the Old Testament, right, these guys, they speak truth. Once again, they're guys who speak truth. Even though they're threatened with death, sometimes they're killed, and they're not listened to, they're scorned, they're abused, blah, blah, blah. They continue to speak truth. Perseverance, perseverance. But the other person that James here mentions about Perseverance, he actually says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Now, it's not that obvious if you read Job that he's persevering. I really like the book of Job. It is one of my favourites, there's a lot of people, and I've explained this here before, because a lot of people read this and it's all about a book where everything goes wrong and everyone complains and moans and tries to find excuses for that and reasoning for that all the way through the Bible until you get to the end and God comes down and goes, well, I'm God. But for me and for others who've read that, you know, if you've ever been in that low place, if you've ever been in a place where you just don't know why it's all gone wrong, I have found it is this wonderful book of saying, you know what, I've done that. <laughs> See what Job, Job's speaking about a couple of thousand years ago where he's going, oh, you know, maybe it's because I haven't done this or maybe, you know, God, why have you done that? And it's really, it's really nice to actually reassuring to read the words of somebody complaining and trying to get their head around it a couple of thousand years ago the same way I, I still do today at times. But how did he persevere? Because within that, Pain within them, justifications, complaints, and reasoning that he writes down and is declared. He also declares these wonderful words in Job chapter 19, which is this He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, He will stand on the earth. Isn't this 
fantastic, this reality that, you know, there is this guy. He is in the middle of pain, lost everything. And you know how his perseverance looks like? It looks to the point where it says, yeah, it might have all gone wrong. I might be complaining. I might be making the excuses. I might be trying to justify things, but I know my Redeemer lives. And that's how we're all called to persevere. We're not here just for, you know, hear some nice words from John. It'll make you laugh a bit and be a nice word and you can go home. Yeah, sorry, if you're here for that, that's not what I'm here for. We're here because actually our, our Redeemer lives. And in James's context, you've got to see that was a reality. You have a church, an early church, Members of this church, of that church at that time, would have seen the resurrected Jesus. They knew what it looked like to say, my Redeemer lives. But that same Redeemer lives today. And it's that same Redeemer which calls us to be a persevering church. To continue, to continue. That's hard. It is about continuing to trust Jesus. My, my brother, Brian, most of you know, he's a, goes to church here, member of this church, and he wrote a lovely book, I'm advertising for him here, called Be Still. I will say, it is a really good book. I mean that. Very proud of Brian. And I highly recommend that. But he shares in that book, he shares how my dad, my dad prays for, I'm one of five boys, my dad prays for each of us every day. Every day. I can stand here knowing my dad. You know what? My dad's prayed for me today. It's true. I know it. That's what he does. He prays for us every, every day. And he prayed for me every day when I wasn't following Jesus. And he prayed for Brian every day when he was in prison. And I've got another brother and he prayed for him for, for 30 years every day that he would come back to Jesus. 30 years. He's following Jesus now. Hallelujah. But the reality is, I wonder how my dad felt on year 29 and six months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you're praying and you're saying, God, please bring my son back to you. Persevere. Persevere. We are called to persevere, the core of who we are as a church, as a people in this constant check on our hearts of being focused in the right direction. It's asking the question of what does love look like for us today and then persevering with that. And on those foundations, we are called to be this first thing. Next slide, please. We're called to be a singing church. That's great, I love that. He actually says that, first 13, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. We are called to sing. We are a church that sings. You know, uh, Graham, we've just you know, done communion. One of the reasons we do communion is we forget. Seriously, that's, uh, you know, the Old Testament, actually most of the Bible is a story of the human race forgetting. And then we, we, you know, we remember. And one of the points of communion is remembering. Well, I'll remind you of something else today. It wasn't long ago when we gathered and we weren't allowed to sing. Do you remember that? Do you remember how it felt? Yeah. It hurt. Of 
called to sing. Let's remember, you know, keep that feeling. Keep hold of it. Maybe a motivation that next time you gather here and you're thinking, do you remember when we couldn't sing? Let's sing louder. Come on. It troubled me. I got this statement online now about singing. It said, it says this, it says, it, singing may help lower stress, boost immunity and lung function, enhance memory, improve mental health and help you cope with physical and emotional pain. One of the best things about singing is, singing is that you don't have to be good at it to reap the rewards. So, yeah. Do you remember, I can't, Mark uh, Molden got up here a couple of weeks ago and he said, uh, there's, we're going to have a Christmas choir. And um, if you think you can sing, but if you're a friend of somebody and you know they can't sing, be a good friend and go and tell them, don't go and be the choir. I found out that I've got several good friends. <laughs> If you're near me, uh, well, I sing, I shout, I shout, I don't mind. One of the things I feel as well is, if I sing really loudly, you can do what you want because no one's going to notice. So if you really think you can't sing, don't worry, sit next to me and do what you want. Okay, it's important. Oh, I love to sing out. It's got such power singing. I don't know if anyone's recently, there's the Dementia Choir. They've just done a thing online. They were doing a choir and, and they were doing a single. So they're recording a single. I watch this thing online and yeah, I get, I get all emotional and stuff. But you know, but it's great. It shows you this power. Singing, how it helps. I love as well this beautiful verse. In, and I'd actually love the Sephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. There isn't enough Sephaniahs in the world. Anyone who's pregnant? Is a Sephaniah a good name, you know? Anyway, sorry. My great-great-granddad, complete. My great-great-granddad, his name was Hezekiah Blades. What a name. I'm like, why couldn't I be called that? Anyway, so... I really complete distraction that I didn't have any time to start off with. So here we go. Zephaniah verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 17 says, Lord, your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great in, delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Oh, God sings over us. We get to sing back. And we get to keep on singing it's so important to keep singing I'm going to apologize now I'm going to use an analogy that I've used loads of times but it's so good I can't help myself um, and if you get a better one let me know and I'll use a different one next time but the fact is in 2005 in the Champions League final <laughs> at half time Liverpool were 3-0 down to AC Milan and the teams came out of the dressing room and the AC Milan players, they, they, talked, they spoke afterwards, they were really shocked. Because when they came out of the dressing room and they're trying to, you know, to go back on the pitch, all they could hear was Liverpool fans singing, you'll never walk alone. That's emotional on a different level for me. But, you know, they were losing 3-0. They were done. Fans kept on singing. And Liverpool won. You're on the winning side. 
Just let you know that. Following Jesus, you're on the winning side, okay? Keep singing. Just sing when you're winning, where you're winning. You might not feel like it right now. You might feel like you're actually in that bottomless pit where you're not. You're going to win, okay? We're more than conquerors. Keep on singing. And we are also called then, this is good, to be a healing church. That's exciting, isn't it? Called to be a church, a healing church. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So first of all, I just want to hear say some things about this verse. This isn't a, this isn't a formula. These verses have sometimes been used badly by man. It has been, had people questioning their faith and looking for hidden sin as a reason that they're not being healed. No. And I just want to say it's really sad when the word of God is used to bring doubt and fear in that way. I'll tell you this. God heals. God heals. And we don't know why sometimes he doesn't. I don't know. That is my best answer. If we try to put things like this in a little tidy box, then that is how big God will be to you. God doesn't fit in a box. It's not all tidy answers and tidy you know, it's all nice and smart and clean. Because if that's what God is, <laughs> then that's actually something you've created to think, you, know, you think is God. God is, you know, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He is bigger than anything we can imagine. He has an eternal outlook. And sometimes we don't understand here. But I believe God heals James here, to a certain concept, to an extent, is talking about this, as going back to what I was originally saying about how to do church. He's, he's putting a little bit of a framework in here. He's saying, and it would actually have come from sort of the synagogue system. You go to the rabbi first, and then you go to the doctor. And James is really, he's refocusing people's mind, and he's saying, you come to God first, and then you go to the doctor quantify that remember you know you might come to the church and you might be sick and we, I'd love to pray for you and I'd love to see you healed we saw somebody healed last week yeah isn't that great you know what but it may be that after that you might need to go to a doctor but I think James is saying for us it's about where's our focus at where, where, where's our first point of call eyes on Jesus that doesn't mean don't phone an ambulance it means our first thought and our first focus is on God. Come to him first. He is our foundation. We turn to him in whatever situation we find ourselves. He is love, his spirit running through us. And you may know, as I know, that sometimes in these situations, as I said there, we don't understand, but we persevere.
It was interesting, um, Helen shared, Helen Adshead, she came and shared last week, how her back was healed after being prayed for by Rosemary. How brilliant, God healed her back. Woo! Yeah, God heals, right? But I think if you actually, you know, when she told the story, she said it, Rosemary prayed for her three times. It's not, it's not a formula, but it is a perseverance. It's something we continue to do because we believe that God heals. And we do sit in that tension that we don't know why sometimes it doesn't. Personally, I think it is. It's, we've got to put God where God is and not try and put there. It's interesting that when Jesus talked in Matthew, he talked about ask, knock, you know these words? Well, actually, if you look at the Greek tense, it was keep on asking, keep on knocking. It's what we're called to do. We're not called just to, this isn't God. This is a relationship thing that we continue to work through. And to do that, we are going to need to be a praying church. There it is. That's exciting, isn't it? Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Just really, really, right now, focusing on something it says there. It says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Is there any righteous people in the house? It's not a trick question. Any righteous people in here? If you've been made right, okay, this is the thing, isn't it? Jesus, through what he did on the cross... Ah, he made, yes, yeah, he made me righteous. When you trust in him, guess what? He makes you righteous. He makes you right with God. So then, wait a minute. So we're all, we're all going for, we're righteous. So then what does it say there? It says the prayer of a righteous person, I lost my point there, is powerful and effective. Therefore, just really get this, therefore, your prayer it says it in the Bible. It doesn't even generalise. It doesn't say, God, when he was speaking to such and such, it actually says a righteous person. So that really means all of you and me. It says it black and white. Your prayer, my prayer, is powerful and effective. You want to take, just take one thing, right? Take one thing no, take loads, but I would love it. You take this, right? Take this out into the world. Take this with you through your week. Know this. When you're speaking, when you're asking, when you're praying, you are righteous, right? Your prayer is powerful and effective. Can't take a deep breath. But it's, that's, I, just, I really just can't. That's true. It's truth. Live with it, run with it. Elijah was just a man and he had some amazing moments. He raised a lad from the dead, stopped it raining, confronted the prophets of Baal. I love that story. Dancing around going, where's your God? Has he gone on holiday? 
what he says in the anyway. But he just, yeah, he really, he just really sticks it up, and, and that's great. And then what does he do after that specific story? He runs off scared. Elijah had these great moments of highs, and he also had these great moments of weakness and fear. He isn't perfect, same as we are. But our prayer, our prayer is no more powerful and effective as yours. His prayer is no more powerful and effective as yours. There's a lady called Heidi Baker. I don't know if any of you have heard of her. She travels around uh, certain areas of southern Africa and she goes into a village and she'll say to people, bring out your blind, bring out your deaf. And the reason she gets the blind and deaf up and she actually says to the village, you know this person? You know she's blind. You know that person's deaf. And then actually she invites children to pray. She invites children to pray healing of these people. You might think that God listens to me more. You might think John's prayers are such much more holy. You might be, no. You're not, it's not, this isn't the deal. We, as a people, we're all righteous people. We all have that access to God. We're all effective and powerful in what we speak out. It's about relationship and it's going back to our foundations. It's love, pouring out, giving our all. It's what relationships are about. And if you're in a healthy relationship in your everyday life, you know it's about communication, it's about talking, that's what we do. And it's the same with God. We talk to him, we keep on talking, we pray for others and we keep on praying. All of us have that access to God. We can all enjoy that relationship with him and allow that to overflow from us to others and sometimes and I'll tell you what sometimes and then lots of times and then all of the time as we invest 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 in that relationship well you will start to see the amazing way that God works our foundation is about where our heart is at ready to love to give and our challenge is to keep on giving I just as of before, I was just upstairs, I just wrote an extra line and I've said it already a couple of times, but I just really feel it's the core of what does love look like today? Practically, what does love look like today? It can be difficult to continue every day to open your arms up wide, but we follow one whose arms opened up wide for us. And we take this love and this perseverance and we sing and we keep on singing. And when we are sick or in those low points, we turn first to him and we keep trusting in him and we keep believing that the God we're following is one who brings about change and healing. And we keep praying. And that may mean that we're waiting for that breakthrough moment in our lives. I would just encourage you You've heard that little story from me today. Keep praying. Keep praying. Persevere. I'm going to pray now. Oh Lord, I'm just struck for the words actually of one of the songs we've, we sung earlier. And it's, this is our God. This is our God. You showed us the way. 
You lived it out and Lord, we thank you for your brother James that he just wanted to really shout that out. I've seen love and I've seen it lived out. I just pray on us today, Lord, that we are able to follow you. That every morning we can wake up and say, Lord, lead us into declaring and showing your love today and give me the strength. Fill me with your spirit to keep on going. In Jesus' name, amen.